The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to, the, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles and fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You can be seated. Randy talked about the pace we're going. I had originally was real aggressive and said, okay, can I get through 13? And then I was going through that. It's like, there's no way possible. There's no way possible. Jeremy's like, what are you thinking? Uh, when we were talking about it the other night. So, uh, but that's uh, our goal really this morning is, is to get one through nine. But I wanted to read one through 13 for context so we can see, see what's being taught in this whole section. And so an overview of what's going on in this section before we get into it is, in in my translation, there's a dash between verse 1 and verse 2. And so what's going on here is that Paul starts out, he starts out with a prayer. But then, before he can get into his prayer, he's kind of pulled away uh, to to have the opportunity. It's like, I I really haven't explained everything yet. Like, I, I can't move past this issue with the Jews and the Gentiles. So he gets pulled back out of his prayer to really communicate again his call personally um, that God's put on his life, and, and particularly his insight into this relationship between the Jews and Gentiles. And you can kind of pick that up, because if you look at 14, this is when he picks back up the prayer. It says, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father. And so you can see w- what's going on here. And so what we will do, we'll spend the most of our time this morning going back over this, this thought that Paul has pulled back out of his prayer from. And so we start in with verse 1. It says, for this reason... And so you've, many of you know me by now that you'll know how my brain works. It's like, so the first thing I'm asking, well, what's re, what reason? For this reason, what's the reason? And so the reason is what he's been laying out in uh, the previous chapters. It's pointing back to that, not forward to where he's going. Um, and he says, that, um, he says that, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. In some translations that you might have might say, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And when I, when I sat down to study, it just came out of nowhere because of what we're really doing in our, our Manhood Restored study. Um, this week we looked at a restored worldview. And so it just hit me then. It's like, look, this Paul, Paul's got the correct worldview. So what, what's Paul saying here is he's not saying, it, it, he's writing this in prison in Rome. 
So Paul's not saying, I'm a prisoner of Nero. I'm, I'm shackled to this Roman soldier. He says, he sees the correct biblical worldview that he is a prisoner of Christ or for Christ. And, and when we talk about worldview, it's how we see, and everybody has a worldview. It's how you see God. It's how you see people. It's how you see yourself. It's how you see um, the decisions you make uh, and, how, and how you see the circumstances you're in. So Paul, having the correct biblical worldview, sees that the situation is, is for Christ and is, is of Christ. And so what I also want to do this morning is actually you know, paint some background before we get in there and say, okay, well, how did, how did Paul end up here? How did, how did Paul end up as a prisoner for Christ in Rome? And I think it's really neat because it ties into Ephesians and, and that, um, his ministry there. So we're going to make a detour. If you take a left in your Bible and, and, and flip over to Acts 21, so we'll walk through that a little bit in Acts 21 and see how Paul ended up being in, in Rome, uh, under prison, in prison, under the guard uh, of Nero. So if you have a ca- caption in your Bible, in verse, uh, chapter 21, it says Paul goes to Jerusalem. So Paul's kind of gone on several missionary trips, and he's going back to Jerusalem um, and he's really being warned that they don't want him to go, but he knows that that's where God's called him to go, uh, and he's willing to go there. And so what we, what we see, uh, so what went down here is that when Paul returns, the freedom that Paul now discovered in Christ really didn't sit well with the, the religious Jewish Christians that were still, they were trying to desperately hold on to the Mosaic law. They had have, they have this now new freedom in Christ, and now they're trying to figure it out. How does this play in part with what, what we've done for, for centuries? And so really what Paul was doing, bringing these Gentiles in and, and, and not holding to the Mosaic law, some of the rituals, it, it really didn't sit well with this group of people. So Paul comes in uh, to Jerusalem, and uh, James is uh, Jesus' brothers over the church there, and he grabs the elders, and they say, okay, we, we need to discuss this out. We need to figure out what's going on here. You've got a lot of people upset when it comes to, the, to, the, to your Jewish brothers that have now been saved in Christ. And so what they do is they, t- they tell Paul, say, all right, Paul, we've got some other guys, four of the guys that are, uh, need to go through a purification process. And so you need to do that. You need to join these guys. You need to pay for them to do it. And you need to do that and, and to show uh, in good faith to your brothers and sisters in Christ that are Jewish that, that, that you are a law, law-abiding Jew. And so Paul, um, like always, and when we read him, the gospel is more important than Paul's personal rights and his personal freedom that he feels like he has. And that is a great, great principle for us, especially as we start Docs of Church and we're planning to see that the gospel is to be held above anything in our personal beliefs, our personal preferences, our methodology, how we think that, that things should play out and how we think service should run. But ultimately, the gospel is bigger than all that and allowing us to submit to that. And so Paul does submit to it. He goes through the process and so if you would join me in verse 27, I'm going to read a few verses for us this morning. Acts 21, verse 27 says, When the seven days were almost complete, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, 
he brought Greeks into the temple, and he has defiled this holy place. For he had previously seen Trophimus, an Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. So you see that that's the tie into Ephesians, that, that they thought that, that this, this, this convert from uh, Ephesus, this area that was with Paul, they thought that Paul had brought him into the temple, and that's just where everything jumps off, and, and the rest of Acts we'll kind of walk through really quickly too, but that's what leads up to Paul being in Rome and in prison. So what happens is they're stirred up, um, they're really about to kill Paul, they're starting to beat him, the Roman guards run in to, to, to save Paul, they actually have to pick him up and carry him out of, of the temple area. And so the Romans are like, what in the world is going on? They, they think Paul's some other guy, and then they're saying, okay, we've got to get down to the bottom of this. So in Rome, how they think they rolled, they, they wanted peace. They, they, they took over a place, but they wanted peace. They knew if there was uprisings and stuff, that was, gonna, that was always going to turn out bad. So they were wanting to get down to the bottom of it. So they took Paul before the, before the council, the Jewish council there, and uh, they really they start making up all kinds of stuff about Paul. They can't figure it out, and Paul... Paul, with great, great wit, what he does, he sees in the crowd, he sees, okay, I got some Sadducees and I got some, some Pharisees here. And they, came, they came, came down on two different sides when it came to resurrection. And so with great wit, he's like, he's like, I am here because I believe in the resurrection. And so all of a sudden, you start this big debate between these two sides of the fence. And it's just, it, the focus now removes off of Paul and it's going so crazy. Actually, the Romans have to come in and, and, and pull Paul out again. And so... So they say, okay, what is, what is going on? Well, then the Jews, there's a group of Jews that say, okay, we've we got to kill this guy. Paul is good. This, this is enough of Paul. And uh, they have a plot to, to ambush. Uh, they're going to say, okay, bring him back to the council, and we're going to have a group out here, and we're going to ambush him. We're going to kill Paul. We're going to settle this. This is going to be over with. Well, Paul's nephew, he finds out about it, spoils the plan, and then in, in kind of crazy, they... they uh, the Roman soldier's like, all right, we got to get Paul out of here. And if you flip over, um, I'm just going to kind of hit some things. Um, but I'm glad I did flip because I do want to say something. This verse 23, before we get this, before Paul is, is sent out, after he leaves this Jewish council that we talked about, they're pulling him out, and he started this big debate. That night, in verse 23, or actually the following night, if you look in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also me, um, also in Rome. And so we see the sovereignty of God there. We see that, that, that Paul has made this uh, testif testifying in Jerusalem what Jesus has done. And the Lord's coming to him and saying, don't worry, you're going to do this in Rome as well. And so how God orchestrates that, we'll see if we jump over... Um, this plan is foiled, and so the, the Romans want to get Paul out of, out of town quickly. So at night, they get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen, and they send him to safety to the governor, uh, Felix. So that's pretty cool, getting out of town. And Paul is shaking things up. I mean, he gets a whole escort out of, out of Jerusalem uh, to Felix. And so Felix is the governor. Felix is governor about two years, kind of leaves Paul there. Stick with me. I know I'm, I'm getting there. I'm almost closing the out acts. 
So then Festus comes up, he succeeds him, and so the Jews see this new power there, all right? So they got Festus here, and say, okay, we're going to make another play on Paul. We're going to get, we still want to get rid of Paul. And so they have another plan, similar plan, bring Paul down, we're going to have this ambush. Well, Paul kind of sees it, well, actually, and then Festus is like, no, no, you guys come to me. If y'all got something to bring against Paul, y'all come to me, and y'all can do it. And so they come up. Uh, so Caesarea, and, and they're, they're, they're saying all this stuff about Paul, and, and Paul's defending himself. And so ultimately what Paul does, he just plays the ultimate card. He says, okay, um, and it's actually in, I'll read it to you. It's in uh, chapter 25. It says, I, I appeal to Caesar. So Paul, what he does is he exercises his right as a Roman citizen to have his, have his case tried in Rome under Caesar. And so that's what happened the rest of Acts is Paul's journey getting there. And so that leads us to Paul being in prison, writing this letter back to the Ephesian church. So, with all that background painted, um, we will continue to march through the verses that we have before us this morning. Um, And so, the mystery, I just want to hit some key phrases as we walk through this. I've got to get back to Ephesians myself here. Um, Just pull out some key phrases as we read the verses and talk about them. So for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as as I have written briefly. So what is this mystery? Um, And this mystery, it talks about it down in verse 6, but this mystery right here when we're talking about here, if you study, it's really pointing to much more than just the Gentiles being brought in to this, this covenant relationship with God. It's much more, it's how it's actually accomplished. When he talks about it, I've written it briefly about it. It's really talking about verse 9 in chapter 1 of Ephesians. So if you look, if you adjust your eyes or, or flip a page back over to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to read these verses for you starting at 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So that shows you that it's this mystery here, it's, it's, it's how this is going to be accomplished. How is God going to do this? And it's through the blood of Christ. So we see that, and, and then if we, we keep marching in four, It says, when you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ. When I read this, I just kind of underlined in my Bible, when you read this, you can perceive. Just taking a look at that statement. And that brought me back into our our manhood restored study that we just walked through this past week, um, a restored worldview. And we really took some time to say, okay, how do do you get this restored worldview? I mean, like, where does it start? Um, and so what we, we learned through that study, that it starts at salvation. Um, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians. Um, it talks about, let's see if I've got it written down here. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 2.16. At the end of that verse it says, but we have a new mind of Christ. So when we are saved, we have a new mind, and our mind of Christ. But the study had a great quote. I want to read it for us. It says, though we have... The new mind of Christ, when we first believe in Jesus, the new mind needs to be nurtured and applied. The word of God is the means by which the new mind grows. 
In Romans 12, 2, it tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And, we, and once again, that points back to studying the Word of God and the Scripture. In James, I, I want to read a, a verse out of James 2. Before I, before I do that, um, it is not enough for us barely to read Scripture unless we attend to them and seriously consider and lay to heart what we read in, in the Word of God. And so, when I think about this subject, it always pulls me to James chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampart wickedness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So what we see, we see the word itself and receiving the word, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But it's also this fact of it, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because what, what is the result if we, we sit under good teaching, we listen to the right podcasts, and it doesn't affect our souls and it doesn't affect our hearts. It says that we, we deceive our own self. We, we sit deceived because we, we have this knowledge, but it's not, it's not affecting us. And so that's really um, where we want to go with Docs in this next season um, is figuring that out. Is that, okay, we've laid the foundation. We've laid like, what we feel like God has called us to do from a um, methodology standpoint of how to plant um, the theology that we hold high and the doctrine that we hold high. But how do, we, how do we make this transition with not just knowing this but actually living that out in community? And so that's going to be the next season uh, in Doxa, Lord willing. Um, we're going to start a, kind of a theme of deep and wide coming in the fall. And so be looking for that. And, and before we do that, um, I kind of want to lay some foundation as well this morning. I'm almost there to lay that foundation. Back in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 5 says, Which was made known to the sons of men in other generations, as has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what, what's, what Paul's saying there is that, that this mystery um, was not known in its fullness. The sons of men of other generations is pointing back to the Old Testament prophets. They knew the Gentiles, going back to this relationship of the gospel being for all, and the Gentiles were going to be brought in, uh, but they didn't quite get that it that it was going to be on equal playing ground. You know, like they might have to come over to our side before they can get into this deal. Um, and so what it's saying that, that the Holy Spirit is now revealed at pu- pushing to the New Testament prophets, uh, the New Testament apostles that have received the Holy Spirit and have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. We see in uh, John chapter 16, verse 13, it talks about the work of the Holy Spirit and is to lead us into all truth. And so we see the working of that and illuminating this mystery. And verse 6 says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this verse is kind of a, if you want to compare two verses of where we've been, if you look back in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Remember that when you were at when you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. And so that was before Christ and now in Christ. 
the Gentiles are fellow heirs and no longer alienated. They're no longer strangers. They are members of the same body. And they are partakers of the promise of in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so, I'm going to read verse 7 through 9 again real quick. It's, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so, kind of the key phrases in, in there, to kind of boil them down, is of this gospel, I was made a minister to preach to the Gentiles. So I figured it'd be a good transition for me to share a little bit more about myself, my personal calling um, to preach the gospel, which I'm still trying to, to, to walk through and, and, and really, as we studied manhood, restored man up and own it and say, okay, God, this is what you've called me to do. It's not, um, I kind of like, Lord, can I just be a, a good Sunday school teacher? Or can I just serve in this area really good? You know, like I'll do the best I can in that area and God's like, no, I, I'm calling you to more, and, and uh, it got to a point where I was like, okay, I got I to gotta start telling some people this because I know I'm going to back out. So I got to put myself out there a little bit, and, uh, and so I uh, was able to meet Randy, and I don't think he's letting me out of it for sure. He seems to be good accountability partner, pushing me through, making sure I say, what Sunday do you have? So, uh, but I did want to share with, with you all about this, this call um, that I received, and, and I We've got on the back table this devotional, and some of you probably walked through it. This, this uh, my utmost for his highest by all all twelve chambers, and had a, a group of guys. We kind of walked through this a lot together, and I was at a stage where we weren't walking through it consistently. I was kind of hitting it up every once in a while, and uh, I remember coming back from Georgetown. I was working down at Georgetown Hospital, and and just kind of wrestling out this call. Still, like God, you know, what what have you really called me to do? Am, am I being obedient? Um, and I remember just thinking, like, I think Oswald's got a word for me today. It was kind of a saying our friends had. Like, if Oswald really stepped on their toes or said something, we'd send a text message, like, Oswald got me today. So I was like, I think Oswald's going to have something for me. And so I get home, and I was like, all right, I crack it. And I don't even know what year it was, but I know it was September 29th. Um, And the, the title is The Awareness of the Call. And the scripture is, For necessity is laid upon me, Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And I shut it. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm like, how am I going to talk myself out of this now? Like, I mean, it's, it can't be any more direct. Uh, besides, like, a tap on the shoulder, you know? It's like, what is going on? So I, I, I shut it, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Sent a couple text messages to my buddies, and uh, they kind of laughed and said, well, that's what we've been telling you. Why don't you listen to us? So anyway... Um, I wanted to read a few things out here because I think, I hope this, this, this transition to apply to your own heart when you read this. When I, think about me reading it, but, but think about yourself uh, and where you are. Um, if God's called you to, uh, to a certain ministry, if God's working in your heart, um, or if you're still running from God himself and not saved. It says, We are inclined to forget the deeply spiritual and supernatural touch of God. If you were able to call... If you were able to tell exactly where you were and when you received the call of God and you can explain all about it, I question whether you have truly been called. The call of God does not come like that. It is much more supernatural. 
the realization of the call in a person's life may come like a clap of thunder, or it may gradually. But however, quickly or slowly this awareness comes, it is always accompanied with an undercurrent of a supernatural, something that is inexpressible and produces a glow. At any moment, the sudden awareness of this incalculable, supernatural, surprising call that has taken hold of your life may break through. I chose you, John 15, 16. And this is a great statement when we talk about the call, what I'm talking about here. It says, the call of God has nothing to do with salvation or sanctification. You are not called to preach the gospel because you are sanctified. The call to preach the gospel is indefinitely different. Paul describes it as a compulsion that was placed upon him. If you have ignored and thereby removed the great supernatural call of God in your life, take, take a review of your circumstances. See where you have put your own ideas of service or your particular abilities ahead of the call of God. Paul said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And so what I wanted to do is just read that. And, then, and this is particularly talking about the, the call of preaching, but put that on a, a, a bigger level of your call of service. Um, as we build this church up, we know, and we talked about, Randy talked about recently, is that, that God is calling people with specific gifts to come to Doxa. And, and we're not complete, and uh, God will work, but you have a particular gifting that God has called you to serve. And, uh, and I would ask you to, to wrestle that out um, in your life. And so with the, the time that I have left, what do y'all think I should do? Preach the gospel. Yay, everybody said, preach the gospel. So I figured, I was like, okay, making a transition. I'm talking about preaching the gospel, being called to preach the gospel. I was like, okay, here's my shot. Here's my shot to preach the gospel. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, and I'm probably going to sit down because I got a lot of notes. I, I, I took a lot of this stuff, stole it shamelessly from other resources that we have back there and stuff because I really wanted to kind of articulate it the best way that I could instead of just kind of rolling with it from the hip. So what is the gospel? In its most simple form, the gospel is a confession of faith um, that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you want to look at that, that's the, the verse we're going to look at that and then kind of build out from there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 8. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, at the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so, um, well, the, the first community group uh, we had, the, the first official, okay, we, we're going to have our first official community group and questions following the service. And that was my first question I submitted to the group is, what is the gospel? In, in one level, it's simple and beautiful, so simple in, in the beauty. And in another level, there's, there's, there's different angles of the gospel that affects different areas, and they're equally as beautiful. 
So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to look first and foremost at the gospel and it applies to mankind. Because I think if you don't, if you don't nail that, if you don't get that and, and, and understand that, it, that you don't understand how the gospel affects everything else. And so this kind of a summary statement is the gospel uh, is that Christ died for our sins, that he rose, and that through faith in him, we can be reconciled to the Father. And so there's some basic elements in, in, in that sentence. And so there's four basic elements. We have first, sin. We have second, the element is death. The third element um, is substitutionary atonement. And the fourth is faith. And so sin, let's look at that first element. So, so the question is, well, where did everything go wrong? Uh, and I would the answer to that is in the garden. So if we, get, we have to go back to Genesis, and this is where we're going to start and kind of move through, is that um, we have in Genesis 1, we see God created the heavens and earth. Um, and we see that, that, that he made everything perfect. He made Adam and Eve. He put them over everything. They had this perfect relationship between them and God. They also had this perfect relationship between each other. There was no sin in the world. Everything was, was perfect. Um, and then uh, they get one, one command from God. I'll read this in in chapter 2. It says, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat eat of it, you shall surely die. And so what we see, that they've given this, they're put over this this, this perfect area. Um, They have this perfect relationship between God and them and between each other. Um, but what we see next in chapter 3 is we see Satan enter the scene. And what Satan does, is he, he tests, he starts to tempt Eve, actually having her question what God said. You know, like, did God really say that? And then continue to tempt her to, to the point of saying that, that God's holding back from you. Really, he, you will be like God. He's, he's trying to hold back from you. And that's so, so what we do all, the majority of time with sin is that we think that, that we... God's holding back from us. And okay, I'm going I'm to go that, that, that God doesn't really know best in this situation. I know best. My needs, my wants. And so we see Satan doing that, tempting Eve. And so she believes the lie and she partakes of the fruit. And her husband's with her and he, she gives it to him. So they both eat. So she starts it. He completes it and finishes this rebellion against a holy God. And so we see as, as we, this truth, and we can track it through the Bible, that we are by, nature's and, by nature and by choice cut off from the one who created us. So from the entirety of Scripture, we can see that man is not born into a state of neutrality, but rather a hostile and willing enemy of God. Man is utterly rebellious, unable, and unwilling to save himself. So that's the first element, sin. The second element is death. So God's warning, God's warning to them is not, not empty. What did God say would happen? He said, you would surely die. And so what happened here when we talk about death, we see that, that, that just like it, it didn't just affect Adam and Eve, that for all generations which proceeded from them, they are subject to this curse of death. So not only are they given over to physical death, but also spiritual death, in which they are estranged from the Heavenly Father. This spiritual death points towards hell, the absence of the goodness, love, 
and mercy of the Lord. And it points to an eternity of suffering for the rebellion against an infinite and holy God. So sin and death are our third point. Uh, our element of the gospel is this, the element of substitutionary atonement. And so the wages of sin is death. This is the penalty for our transgression. The debt was owed to God. Therefore, God alone could pay, and so pay he did with the blood of his Son. The Son of God became the sin, became sin, and bore the wrath of the Father, because becoming a curse on our behalf, he became our substitution, dying for our sins in our place. He did not deserve to die, we did, but he willingly became obedient to the payment required that we might be reconciled to him. We deserve to die, and we owed a payment, but he purchased our freedom. And in this same uh, element, I kind of wanted to, to, to give you a verse to look to, and it's in 1 John chapter 2. Um, I'll flip there real quick. I'll read it for us. 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 2. It says, my little children, I am writing these things to tell you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so this, this term propitiation, which is a, a great term that's hard for me to say, says that it means that a claim has been satisfied. And so what here is literally saying that the wrath of God has been absorbed. Jesus absorbed the holy wrath of God against our sin by suffering the full payment for it in our place. So this is, so this is what Jesus did for us. Okay, that's, that's great. The last element is faith. So this is where we're going to talk about how do I get into that? You know, like Jesus died for me. That's great. You know, like. And Kramer's in, in, in business, like, that's a no-brainer, no like, yeah, I'm going to invest in that. I want to get into that. And so that's like the last part we got to talk about is faith. And so, that, so how do we enter into the blessing of this divine transaction? So God established only one way to gain entry into his presence, and that's through faith alone that we may enter into the divine transaction of salvation. As we talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 9, it says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. This understanding of sola fide, which means faith alone, is the basis of biblical Christianity and lies at the heart and, and, of a, and at the proper understanding of God's dealing with his people. So all that is necessary for salvation is for us to believe in the gospel. It's the good news of Christ's perfect life. It's the good news of, God's, of Christ's perfect obedience. It's the good news of Christ's death for our sins. And it's the good news of his resurrection. So if, if faith alone or, or belief alone, another way to say that is belief alone, um, and that's it, then we must make sure we understand what faith is. Otherwise, we may deceive our own selves into thinking that we have faith when we really don't. And so 
the next term to kind of look through is belief. So what is belief? And belief is much more than mental acknowledgement. It's knowing the facts of knowing this story that we just laid out. Say, okay, I know, I know the first element of sin. I know the first element of death. And I know the, the, the third element of substitutionary atonement. But it's much more than that. It goes to, we see in James chapter 2 verse 19, there's a, a statement there. It says that the demons even know and have this mental acknowledgement of, of, of Christ and what he did. But, but, they don't, but they're not saved. So what's the difference there? Um, and for me, it says that, that in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it tells us because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the statement that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so biblical belief is a posture toward the lordship of Christ, a submission to the will of Christ. So what that means is that if my will wants to do this, if this is what I want to do, but I know in the Word of God it says it's this, then I submit to that. I go to say, okay, God, what did you do? So I would just throw it out there. If, if you constantly see yourself knowing what the Word of God says, but having your own desires and going after that, I would say you need to question if you really have biblical faith. We have verses in, the, in this Bible that tells us that we are to test ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. And then we have another element here to talk about when it comes to belief, and it's, it's repentance. And so repentance is not something we do in addition to belief, but it, rather it's, it's a component of true belief. Repentance is just the other side of the coin. It's the same issue as belief and repentance on the same coin. It's just a different side of it. So, if, so it's really belief and action. And the action flows out of our conviction that we have now because of what Christ has done in our, in our understanding of Christ as Lord. And, and repentance literally means, and I'm sure most of y'all have heard of this, it means that it's a change in mind. It's, it's the Greek word, word metanoia, means to change direction. And for so long, even until I really prepped this week, I, you know, I would, I would think about that, and I said, okay, I got it. Instead of me going this way towards sin, and, and whatever that sin is, list whatever you, you, you put in, you hold high as a really bad sin, if it's pride, or if it's, if it's adultery, if it's whatever, and you, you stop that and you turn around and go to Jesus. But really, what, when we, we talk about salvation, and the, the first and foremost is that this metanoia, this change in mind, is about Jesus himself. You see that it's not just changing our actions, but it's also changing our actions because of how we have changed our mind. And we see Jesus, we see that he is glorious, we see that he is worthy of all our praise. So it is him. It's our, our view of him has changed. It's no longer that I am Lord, I'm on the throne. It's Jesus is on the throne. And through that, everything spills over. So we so often want to think about just behavior modifications, thinking that we're being repentant. But when it ultimately, and specifically when we come to Christ and, and salvation, is this new, a change in mind, a change in thought about Jesus himself. So overall, salvation is a posture of faith and repentance that you begin in a moment, but you maintain for the rest of your life. And so what we've talked about so far is just, just half the gospel. Um, and so, so often people just think, well, that's, that, you did it. That's the gospel. You, you laid it out, how to be saved. But, in, but at, at the cross, there was a great transaction. Uh, and so we talked about our substitution atonement. We talked about sins being taken off or sins being paid on our behalf. But the second half of the gospel, really for me, is shown in verse 8. So verse 8 says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the, unrich the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
And so the, other, the unsearchable riches of Christ for me when I was studying for this is, is the second half of the gospel. It's that at that transaction that I receive Christ's righteousness. And that is, that is unsearchable. Um, there's a statement here that says that there, there is a mighty treasure of mercy, grace, and love laid up in Christ Jesus. And they are unsearchable. They cannot, the, the bottom cannot be found. It's like a mind inexhaustible whose treasures can never be fully explored. In Lamentations, there's a, there's a verse in, in three, on a lot of coffee cups, and people see it, it's in, it's in verse uh, uh, 22 or 23. It says, the, the steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so what hit me uh, about this unsearchable riches of Christ, and because and, really I was like, okay, well, I'll talk about that. That'd be easy to talk about. Then I was like, man, I, I can't even wrap my mind around it. So I'm going to skip that. I'm going to just go to the gospel. Um, and so, but what really hit me when I was doing that was that, that we have an attorney. This verse that I just read at Limitations is not just true for our life here that there's new mercies every morning that I wake up, but it's for eternity. And we will spend an eternity trying to get to the bottom, trying to to find all the gems and, and the, beautiful, of the, the beautifulness of the gospel and what Christ did for us, taking all our sins and giving us his righteousness. And so this knowledge, I think, leans up to this knowledge that we have as a believer in Christ, leads us to verse 9, and it says that we are to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of this mystery. So it's your responsibility as a believer to preach the gospel. It might not be in this setting, but you have a responsibility of, of, as a believer to share this good news of what Christ has done. And really, uh, I'm going to close with this verse uh, out of Romans because I think it ties in what we have been talking about in Ephesians and what we just laid out today in the gospel. It's in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. It says, for this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greeks. For, this, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let me pray. Father, Lord, I, Lord, I pray that that last statement will be true for, for all those who, who call docs a home, Lord that this place would be full of people with beautiful feet, that it would be their desire to preach the gospel to the nations. I pray that, uh, that we, would, we would rightly understand the gospel, that we would challenge people that, that are inoculated to Jesus to check their own heart to make sure they are, they are worthy of the calling that you have placed upon our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be compassionate and merciful for those who, who are blind to the gospel. 
And Lord, have a desire to introduce them to you, Lord, and, and, and let you do the work and, and step back and see and glorify you that, that you have called them unto salvation. Lord, I pray for, for Doxa kids, as we talked about that at the beginning of the service, that you would bestow upon them all the children of Doxa kids in the early second birth. May they know you closely all their entire lives. Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts as we close what you have called us to do, the messages you've called us to proclaim. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity just to, to lay out the gospel. I pray that uh, if, 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 if you've moved in a heart today that they are were inoculated to these truths and you've now opened their eyes to the fullness of your, your mercy and your grace, Lord, I pray that... Uh, that we would be a church to be able to walk beside these people, or if they're just visiting, Lord, that they would, they would, they would come alongside a believer, mature in the faith that can shepherd them through. Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you for this group. Pray that you would give us all beautiful feet. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.